Welcome to Real Money Talks. Real strategies from the money makers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire. Hi, this is Laurel, and welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Our podcast talks about how to make money, how to invest money, how to keep it, anything in your money conversation. We are your one-stop shop to call in and get some help. And uh, making money, investing money, we're in one of the hottest markets we have seen. I think it's interesting in the real estate space how many people lost money in 2008. Here it is 10 years later, and they're still whining about it. So I have a guest today, um, not just a guest, he's a dear friend, married to the coolest woman. And uh, always does these fun golf tournaments. So, Lance Edwards, welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Well, thank you so much. It's great, great to be here. I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> well, I, so I like you're just so fun and you're so committed. And I mean, you have 10x your company in the last you know years and watching you. You have a, n- a number one best selling book. You've been on TV, radio, you've been involved in apartments since what, 2002. You're doing deals from three units to hundreds of units, started part-time, you know, while working in corporate America. So that's kind of all the backstory, but I want to hear from you, like, what's your passion about apartments? Like, you've been in real estate now for a while. So what keeps you there? You give your background and history and your passion for it. All right. Super. Thank you. Thank you, Laurel. And, um, and I appreciate you giving my wife top billing on the, today's interview. So, <laughs> so appreciate that. So, but I am, I am married to a wonderful woman. So, my background, it is a passion. I've been involved in deep real estate since 2002. I got involved coming out of, well, I was in corporate America, had a full-time job working 60 hours a week. I discovered real estate investing during the process of just trying to figure out how to make some extra money. And unlike most people who start off in single family, I was very fortunate to be directed to get started into small apartments. And uh, my very first real estate deal I ever did, I bought a fourplex. Bought it nothing down, none of my own cash, none of my own credit. Literally with it, did over the phone with a seller out of Hawaii here in Honolulu where I live. And that gave me the bug. And within two and a half years, I had done 50 deals using other people's money, all part-time, had a full-time job. And then within three years of my start in small apartments, I was able to retire from a 20-year corporate job to go do real estate full-time. So I've been doing it full-time since 2005. And I've been teaching others how to do the same thing since 2007. So I, I do have a passion for it. I've been involved with it for a, a long time. And what excites me about it is a, a number of things is that, first of all, to get into small apartments, there's much less competition than there is in single family. You make bigger numbers for the same effort. You can buy these properties for cash flow. You can flip these properties for big checks. You can fix them up or even bigger checks, six and seven figure checks. And it's a, it's a totally scalable business. And, and my niche is small apartments. And that's my, my best-selling book is how to make big money in small apartments. And the only reason I emphasize small is for someone getting mm-hmm. started, I want you to start small and scale up. So talk a little bit about that, Lance. I want you to go, because so many people, and I just want to reemphasize that, they think that the one house is, and believe me, I've been there. I've done so many transactions where, you know, you can have 12, call it single family houses or one 
12 apartment units. So like you said, it's the same effort. It's the same closing documents. It's 12 times more work in the single family. Talk more about the cost analysis of that, because I don't think people realize, because I think when they say start small, you and I are thinking three, four, five, six, eight units, not a single family. So just reemphasize from a cost and a profit standpoint. Well, spot on. You're going to go out in the go to the traditional route. We're going to go buy rental houses to as cash flow. Well, you know, let me just share this. Rental houses don't have the cash flow that a small apartment building does because houses are not built to be rental uh, cash flow devices. Apartments are. Apartments are called income producing vehicles. And so, when you're buying apartments, your cash flow per door is much much better than it's going to be on a house. And if you own, say, a sixplex and one unit goes empty, one tenant moves out, you've still got five people paying you. So you still have cash flow, so a lot less risk. But with regards to starting small, the analogy that Laurel's just hitting on the head is, you know, I tell people, listen, you need to go buy 10 houses or buy one 10-unit apartment building, which you think will take less effort. Well, obviously, you can do one deal or you can do 10 transactions, which means you got to go sort through, you know, a few hundred to find the 10 or you can go find the one. And by the way, you'll spend a lot more money to acquire 10 houses than you will to buy one 10-unit apartment building, and you'll have less cash flow with 10 houses than you will have with one 10-unit apartment building. So it starts small on a small apartment building and then scale up because it's all based on math. It's just it's very simple math. Absolutely. And so let's say someone's starting out. When you say start small, like where would they start? Because it's a different market. It's a commercial market. Where do they start? How do they go find an agent, broker? How do they work with you? I mean, I mean, you have great marketing systems. So maybe actually, um, I'm going to reframe that, Lance. Start with how you work with clients and then let's start, you know, because that people all over the world listening to this. So, you know, say you have someone out in the middle of Kentucky listening to this or the middle of Kansas listening to this. How would they start? So how do you work and then how do they start? Sure. Well, first of all, let me explain. There's two sides of my business. I have a training business and I have a transactions business. Transactions means we're out doing deal. We're buying apartment buildings and we're flipping apartment buildings. And of course, the two very much complement each other. So in getting started, the first thing we need to do is, you know, learn the business, understand the basics. And, you know, we, we train people on that. And then, then the choice is going to become, do you want to do it yourself or do you want us to do it for you? And, and that's where the transaction side of my business comes into play because basically we're in the marketing business and, Laurel can talk, you know, volumes on this. Each of us in our own business, we're in the marketing business. Our phone's not ringing. We don't have business with And so we do a lot of done-for-you services for people to find sellers and to find buyers, and we do the work for them. But at the end of the day, you've got to create deal flow and find sellers of these buildings. And then you, if you're going to flip it, you find a buyer. If you're going to invest in it, you find an investor. And maybe I can speak now a little bit, Laurel, if you like, on... Um, how we find these buildings. Maybe that might be of interest. Or you tell me real. All right. So I'll tell you guys right now, I'm going to tell you the three primary methods. Then I'm going to tell you what the secret weapon is. Uh, the three primary methods to create your deal flow are websites, brokers, and direct mail. Websites are sites like LoopNet or MLS, publicly available information. Uh, you go find properties listed for sale. Second is brokers, Commercial brokers or realtors, you're talking about small apartments. And, and by the way, Otto, I should have said this up front. Small apartments are two to 30 unit buildings. But website, I mean, uh, brokers can be a source of deal flow as well. And they can give us access to properties that are not on the websites, that are not publicly available. Those are called the pocket listings. 
The third source and the absolute secret weapon when it comes to creating deal flow in apartment buildings is direct mail, where we are sending a, a mail piece to an owner directly to basically ask them, are you interested in selling? I'm, I'm interested in buying. And I call it a secret weapon because there's no competition. 95% of the time, the property is not listed for sale. And I'm in direct contact with the owner of that building. And I can have a conversation just with them. And I can negotiate the most preferential purchase terms, including seller financing, where I don't need to go to the bank. I don't necessarily even have to have a down payment. I can negotiate my interest rate. It's totally negotiable. And so I'm all about direct mail, and, and that puts me into seller finance deals where, and by the way, besides no uh, credit check and negotiate your own down payment, negotiate your own interest rate, there's no personal guarantee on these notes as well. So direct mail is our secret weapon of those, those three techniques. Well, you got you to repeat that. So and actually do a, an understanding. Why is there no personal guarantee? Because I think that's another huge distinction between single. And I'm not discouraging people from doing single family. I'm just making a point that the apartment model is so much more lucrative and less time. This is, you can tell what I'm leaning towards, but in a single family model, nine times out of 10, you have personally guaranteed. So speak to why that's so distinctively different. All right. Well, well first of all, let me echo what just Laurel said. I mean, if for anybody that's listening, if you're doing single family right now, keep doing single family, but I would encourage you to check out adding small apartments, as another profit center to what you're doing right now, because you can do pretty much everything you're doing in single family, but put it on steroids and just accelerate it. But back to um, no personal guarantee. So if you're going to buy a piece of real estate, the traditional model is, you know, we've all been taught, you go to the bank, a pint of blood, a slight proctology exam, and <laughs> you're going to get, <laughs> so you can be, you know, approved. If you survive the, if you survive the process, then when you're at the closing table, that bank mortgage is going to have you personally sign and personally guarantee that debt, which means if something goes wrong and you're late making a payment or you default on the loan, not only does the bank take the property back, they can come after you personally and go after your other assets in the process. So you know that's less desirable. But on the other hand, and that's called a recourse loan. When we're doing seller finance transactions, which means I'm buying a property straight from the seller, instead of them getting all their money up front, they're going to be the bank. They're going to allow me to purchase their property on monthly installment payments for a few years. And there's no credit check on that. It's all negotiable what the terms are. And in seller financing, there's no personal guarantee. I am not personally guaranteeing that mortgage. If I were to default on that note, the seller's recourse, they can take the property back, but they can't come after me personally. Non-recourse loan. That's just way to fly as far as I'm concerned. A lot of people got hurt during the 2008 recession because all the notes they had guaranteed, market turned and couldn't make payments. And they just, some of them got wiped out. Absolutely. So talk about the, I'm going to call it, there's a competitive niche in small apartments, right? So talk a little bit about how they buy one, they buy two, and then I want you to lead them to, you know, what most of us do now is use other people's money and investor dollars. Because I always think people say, well, I can only do so much and then I'm going to run out of credit or I'm going to run out of my own money. And that's great. Because for me, what I tell, you know, students in our community is when you get to that place and you've done three, four, five transactions, I think you can go find IRA money, other people's money, do it on debt, do it on a partnership. 
So it kind of speaks to that model and how that build and really becomes a passive life for people if they do it right. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is really, this is really what your, everyone's going for because I, let me share with this with your listeners. Well, first of all, the strategy that I teach and I encourage everybody to write this down. It's very simple. This is how, this is your path to financial freedom very quickly. It's flip one, flip one, flip one, hold one, which means you're going to create deal flow in apartment buildings. You're going to flip, you're going to put them under contract and you're going to flip these contracts to buyers. These are for the properties you don't want to hold on to. And then along the way, I want you to cherry pick the buildings that you do want to hang on to. They got great cash flow. They meet your criteria. And you're, you're going to add, you want to add doors to your portfolio until you have a sufficient number of doors, which is basically income producing units. So we have enough money coming in where you don't even need to flip anymore. You got mailbox com- money coming in. Now you got total choice, total choice over how you spend your time. Do you want to do more of these or not? And what people will say, okay, Lance, I understand that model. I understand flipping. That doesn't require any money, but this buying and holding requires money. And I don't, you know, I don't have the personal financial resources to do this. Okay. It's not a problem. You don't need your own personal resources. We've already talked about how you don't need to use your own credit if you get seller financing. Let's say you, but you need a down payment. I don't have the down payment. Then you go use other people's money. And that's, Everybody should be using other people's money on these transactions, even when you have your own money, because of, of the leverage available to you. And when you talk about other people's money in small apartments, I'll just give you the two top sources. Number one, we've already talked about the seller on a seller finance transaction is your primary lender. Well, let's say you need 20% down. Where's that cash coming from? Well, that's where we go to private investors. And I'll tell you, the single best private money source for small apartments is self-directed IRA investors, mom and pop investors who've got fifty to $100,000 or more in their IRA earning less than 1%. And you can borrow money from them as your down payment and pay back their IRA as a return. And, and I, I will tell you, the single largest constraint that keeps people from getting into business is they think, oh, I, need, I don't have the cash. I don't have the credit. Great. You're in great shape. You shouldn't be using your own cash and you shouldn't be using your credit to begin with. You tap into other people's resources. And, and when you start to wrap your brain around this and you come to realize the only thing holding you back is deal flow. You're an X number of doors away from financial freedom. And you can measure that typically in months once you understand the system. So talk about how do you go get other people's money? Like you said, IRA money is the best to use. Talk about somehow like a deal would get structured. Is it best for them to pay in a debt model, just a flat rate of interest on the IRA money or... Can they use it and put them into the deal? Maybe talk through some of the deal structures that you've done, that some of your students have done, and I'm sure my students have done as well. Sure. Fundamentally, there's two deal structures when you're borrowing private money. That private investor could either be a a lender to you, or they could be an equity partner to you. So let's let's explain the difference. So a lender, most common model, that IRA investor is going to loan me $50,000 to use to acquire this small apartment building. Okay. And consideration of that, I'm going to pay them back 6% interest. That's a pure lender model. I own 100% of the building. They're loaning me the money. There's a promissory note between me and them and they get 6% interest. All right. The other model is an equity partner. That same 50,000, I might go to the owner of the 50,000 and say, okay, you're going to loan me the 50,000, but I'm going to give you one third ownership in this building and you're going to get one third of the cash flow 
and you're going to get one third of the appreciation on the building. But if there is no cash flow and there is no appreciation, then you're not going to get the full amount. When the choice of which one you're going to use is generally, if it's a stable property, it's not a big rehab. It doesn't have a lot of hair on it. But the way I'll describe it, if it's a pretty, you know, clean, <laughs> stable property, you'll go borrow. You'll use a lender model. It's a lender. You're going to loan me some money, and I'll pay you back. Now, if you get into big turnarounds, rehabs, have hair on them, that's more like a little more risk associated with it. You're going to bring in an equity partner, so they got some upside. But I will tell you, the lender model is generally going to be your cheapest route. And one other thing I will add to this. Of course, keep in mind, you can totally negotiate the terms of your loan with your private lender. So you're not dealing with a bank where there's just no negotiation. So when you go to your lender, you say, okay, I'm going to pay you 6% interest, but I'm going to pay you five years from now when we cash you out. So you're going to defer the interest. That helps boost your cash flow. And yep. so that's a very common model. And, and you would do that. Of course, you have to have a plan in place to be able to pay that off at the back end. But the whole point is you have flexibility in, in the terms that you negotiate. Love it. Love it. Love it. So talk about the big ones. Talk about 80, 100, 160, 200. Talk about not only the distinctions, but how the terms of those deals, how do you find those deals? Because there's a whole bunch of those, usually family offices or larger investor, you know, private equities and stuff, find them. But the typical investor that's in our conversation, your community, my community, Lance, can do those deals. I think a lot of people shy away from them. So talk about how you find the bigger deals. Sure. This is a great question, Laurel, that you're asking, because when it comes to apartments, there's like three layers. You got small apartments, which we define as two to 30. You got mid-sized apartments and you got large. And let's, let's describe mid-size as 30 to, let's say, 100, 120, somewhere around there. And then large is above that. Small, we've been talking about. That's the realm of the mom and pop owner. That owner of a small apartment building is a mom and pop investor. At the large end, if you get into the large sector, the owners of apartment buildings up there are more likely corporations, institutions, perhaps even hedge funds, institutional owners on those large properties. The mid-size apartment sector is also the space of mom and pop investors. And a couple of things I want to point out. This is really your sweet spot. Remember I said you want to start small, but you want to scale up. If you look at where the activity is going with hedge funds right now, they are acquiring bushels of houses. They go out and buy bushels of houses, or they go out and buy large apartment complexes because they're looking to move big chunks of money at a time. So the hedge funds, you got, you got a lot of competition in single family, just everybody's a single family, and you got a large competition with price competition in large apartments. The spot where people are, the hedge funds are not, and where there's less competition is small, as we've talked about, and mid-size. So everything we've talked about with small apartments equally applies to mid-size apartments where you're dealing with mom and pop investors, where you can also negotiate seller financing, the exact same terms. It's just that you're adding extra zeros on these checks. The analysis is exactly the same. It's the same math analysis. The marketing is largely the same between small and mid-size. So your, your progression is to, remember, flip one, flip one, flip one, hold one. But I want you to start small and just naturally progress into larger deals. Because again, the effort to do a five-unit deal is the same effort to do a 50-unit deal. It's just leverage, leverage of your time. Absolutely. So 
talk about um, like pushing rents up. So once they acquire the property, if they have you know big tenant improvements or you know I have a real estate partner does you know and small apartments in Ohio, and we call it forced appreciation, right? By yes. you know doing certain right. So we just force the appreciation into the building, and again, you know the value of your buildings are measured on your gross rent receipts, not you know the individual housing. So talk about how to do that. How do you force appreciation into the properties? All right. This topic now, up to now, we've been talking about cash flow, cash flow from flipping buildings, cash flow from owning buildings. Now, the way you create your, you boost your net worth and the way fortunes are made is exactly what Laurel's referring to. It's forced appreciation. And what that means is what she just said, the value of an income producing property, like an apartment building, is directly a function of the amount of net operating income coming off of it. So net operating income is influenced by the rents, the occupancy, and the expenses. So anything that we do to raise the net operating income boosts the value of a building. It's called an income-based appraisal. So let me give you an example. If you own an apartment building, and I won't go through all the math, but if you raise the rent $10 on a common apartment building, you raise the value of that apartment building by $1,200 per door. Let's say that again. $10 rent increases raise the value of the building $1,200 per door on average. So if you own 10 buildings, you raise the value $1,200 times 10 or $12,000. If you own 100 doors and you raise the rent $10, 100 doors times $1,200 is $120,000. You just force the value up literally overnight. Now, at the same time, on occupancy, if you raise occupancy 2% on an apartment building, on average, occupancy take it from 88% to 90%, you also raise the value another $1,200. So on that 100-unit building, if you raise the occupancy 2%, you've added another $120,000 of value. If you raise the occupancy 2% and raise the rent $10 at the same time, you've created a quarter of a million dollars equity. And those are small changes. And so in terms of your net worth, Obviously, you want to be raising your rent. Obviously, you want to maximize your occupancy because that boosts your cash flow. But while you're doing that, you're also boosting the value and the equity in these buildings, which you can then use to either sell the building, harvest that equity as cash, and use it as down payment on a larger building so you can do it again, or refinance that property, pull that equity out as cash, and you got cash, which, by the way, is tax-free because it's just a loan. So forced appreciation is how fortunes are made in, in apartment buildings. So Lance, if people want to know, how do they work with you? I mean, you help them, like you said, get deal flow. You have mailers. You have courses. How do people start with you? I know you have a free gift. Talk about that. Thank you, Laura. I, mean, I have a best-selling book called How to Make Big Money in Small Apartments. Number one, on Amazon, it lays out everything I'm talking about today and more. I mean, basically, it lays out how you do this business. And uh, it sells every day on, on Amazon, $15. So I will have a gift for your listeners, Laurel. I'd like to give them the book for free. And all these apps, they just pay 6 bucks shipping and handling. And we're happy to send the book free and some other resources so they can evaluate this for themselves. And uh, I think you're going to put, some, put a link on the show notes. And if you're interested, if this makes sense, what I'm talking about, then go get the book, sign up. You know, six dollars. We'll send you the book and some other resources, and check it all out for yourself. And then, you know, there's something there you like. There's all kind of other resources and bonuses and links in that book, and you can just see where you might want to go from there. Absolutely. So again, like all podcast shows, if you go to asklaurel a s k l o r a l dot com, 
We will have the podcast, the show notes, the link. And when you, you know, log on to askloral.com, put in your name, phone number, and email and make a request. If you want a one-on-one with Lance or his team and you just want to jump in, he's got all sorts of masterminds mentoring and can just, you know, skyrocket you into this process because uh, it's a really, really rich market right now. And uh, like I started the show, 2008 happened 10 years ago. So if you're still licking your wounds and get over it and uh, get back into the business of real estate. So Lance, uh, thank you. Um, You know, I know you do a lot of like kind of kick-ass coaching as I do. So what would be kind of your last message to the folks that are listening from all over the world? And those of you that are uh, international, this can happen in your markets. If you want, we can help you uh, get into the U.S. market. A lot of folks use our office in Nevada, start a Nevada company, fund it, and then keep all of their asset allocation in the United States for several years. It's one way to do it for all of you international folks. So what's your kind of like, just uh, get started, your last action to uh, the folks listening from all over? Sure, sure. Laurel, again, thank you so much for this opportunity. And you're the master of this stuff. I really respect everything you've done. And, you know, I've been following you for years. I just really, really admire what you've been doing. So thank you for this. Well, thank you. Uh, and the one thing I would say to everyone is do not make the mistake of thinking you're not qualified to get started in small apartments. Do not discount yourself because I don't have any experience. I don't have the financial resources. We've touched upon this here. You don't need any prior experience to get started. I had none. Most of my students have none. You don't need your own cash. You don't need your own credit. What you just need to do is decide this is something you want to get involved with and then start investigating it. And uh, we have students literally from 10 years old to 80 years old. I had a 10-year-old buy a duplex recently, Laurel, with his dad's help. I got a you know, caveat, his dad's help. But it's one of them. And so you just got to decide it's something to go check out and, and get started. Absolutely. So again, thank you all for joining us with Laurel's Real Money Talks. And uh, we're up every Thursday, Friday with a new podcast, a new conversation, and new inspiration about money. Coming soon through the month of October, we will be very cannabis and blockchain related. The month of October, October 17th specifically, is the day that Canada goes federally legal in cannabis. So from you know British Columbia to Nova Scotia, it's all going. And uh, there's interesting... Uh, what's going on in the markets, what are going on in the valuations, Canadians' ability actually to come south and cross the border if they're in the business. They're being arrested across the northern coast. So it's an interesting time to be alive in this new extraordinary industry called cannabis. So stay tuned on Laurel's Real Money Talks for that coming up in October. And Lance, thank you again. I appreciate you. And uh, I'm having you back again. Super. Thanks, all of you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off-Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi-million dollar business strategies? Visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast for past episodes, show notes, and resources. For some special wealth building gifts only for Laurel's podcast listeners, visit liveoutloud.com slash podcast gifts. Do you have a burning question for Laurel? Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.